This show is part of the RetroZap.com podcast network. Welcome back to Previously on Lost. This is episode number 10, and we're going to talk about an episode that I would dare say is probably the episode that really kicks things off in the whole Lost series. So many reveals, so many uh, key moments, and it is all the best cowboys have daddy issues. And I am Mike, and I'm going to talk about some of those daddy issues tonight along with Corey. How's it going? It's going great. Excited to talk about some Lost. All right, and then some more daddy issues. We're going to talk with Steven. How's it going? It's going good, going good. All right, and uh, again, stay with us. Uh, We have that new show format, and we're looking forward to doing it. And uh, I can't wait to dive in. Um, I I just, I'll just tell you, you know, you could go to retrozap.com to find all of our stuff, but we just want you to participate with us. So here's what I want you to do: you go to Discord, you go to retrozap.com, find our Discord, join us. We just want you to participate with our show, and we'll tell you a little bit more how you can do that at the end of our show. But with all that being said, we're going to go ahead and get started tonight with all the best Cowboys have. Daddy Issues, Steven, why don't you take us away? Alright, this is episode 11, season 1, uh, aired December 8, 2004, directed by Steven Williams and written by the incomparable Javier Grillo Markswatch. Um, Jack, Kate, Locke, and Boone go after Ethan, Claire, and Charlie. They separate, and while Jack and Kate confront Ethan, Locke and Boone find another mystery in the jungle. Flashbacks reveal more about Jack's past with his dad. More than anything, I'm just amazed at how suave you sounded when you were reading Mr. Javier's name. (laughs) It's it's quite quite the uh, tongue twister, but... uh, just He's be a honest. good follow on Twitter. Okay, I about to say, just be honest. How many times did you practice that before we hit record tonight? That's what I really wanted to ask. Oh, I don't. I wouldn't even know how to approach that when there's an X in the middle of a name like that. Oh no. Oh, well, this is a uh, this is this is a great episode. Here's a couple of facts about it, everybody. Um, pounding on a chest like Jack does to Charlie in this episode is only found in cinema, obviously, as it does absolutely nothing. A doctor would not do that. This was an attempt to depict a precordial thump, which would, is used during V-fib or V-tac. So the lesson we learned is if your friend or loved one is past that like that, do not punch them in the chest because a doctor would not do that. Uh, this episode marks... But I saw it on TV. It was on TV, so it must be, you know. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, no, it's fine. Um, Poor Charlie had to have a lot of bruises on his chest the next day. <sighs> Did you Ugh. did you see I don't know if it's um I don't know if I put it in the notes. I don't think I did. Okay. So right there when they're when he's hitting his chest, the like the first time the camera pans down to when he starts hitting his chest, there's like a little square piece under his shirt that um that that was kind of there for Jack to know where to hit during the scene. <laughs> That's his mark. Well target. Did, Yep. And Maybe with some padding too. I don't oh, know. Oh yeah. Because I mean, he's beating his chest. Uh, and then um, also, um, they have the uh, the the error of the boom mic right there when Walt is talking to Sawyer. Oh yeah, I didn't even catch that. Yep. Yeah, like, I didn't. It's, it's, uh, somebody had still still framed it, so I went. So when he's talking to Sawyer, at one point when Sawyer's done, like a little, like you see the end of the bottom of the boom mic at the top right corner of the episode of the scene it you know pretty, the cool. the boom guy always gets a bad rap but it's not really his or, or her fault you know it's like he just someone's got to tell leave. him that's in the he, that's in the frame right he just wanted to leave something of him in the in the show so the, <laughs> yeah, no, exactly the, I, I was the one holding that mic guys at least it's not a starbucks cup could always be worse <laughs> that's, that's right <laughs> yeah people freak out over that <laughs> that was hysterical oh um, 
this this episode also marks the survivor's first discovery of well I had to change what it is but something metal because I don't want to reveal what it is because we don't know exactly what it is yet well, we do but you don't uh, this episode also marks the first time a character has a second episode excluding the pilot devoted to them this is Jack's this is a Jack centric episode um, in 2006 rock band census fail named a song on their sophomore album still searching after this episode never even heard of census fail interesting uh, when Jack is trying to revive Charlie, he hits him in the chest 23 times. Ooh, one of our numbers. Uh, after seeming to give up, he begins hitting Charlie again and hits him nine more times before Charlie regains his breath. 32 times Jack pounded that dude's chest. So, so really, the, the note here is don't pound on someone's chest unless you do it 32 times so <laughs> exactly zero to 31 not effective 32 it's okay that's right and that and and we here at retro's up do not encourage you go pounding on somebody's chest but you know uh jack at christian's hospital saint sebastian is featured for the first time and it's going to become a prominent off-load, off-island location. Uh, Emily Day Ravine, Claire Littleton on the show, does not appear in this episode and is not credited in this episode, although her voice is heard. Or is it? Yeah, I think it's her voice. <laughs> it's a weird uh, voice. So instead of playing a little clip, I'm just going to tell you, here's what previously happened on Lost. Charlie writes late on the bandage strips in his fingers in reference to his friend, the pregnant Claire, to kind of catch up to speed here what's going on uh, in the last episode, Saeed returns from his trip along the beach, warning Jack that they aren't alone on the island. Claire is attacked in her sleep and becomes convinced that someone is trying to hurt her baby. Hurley offers to conduct a census of the survivors to get an idea of who they are living with. Claire leaves the caves to return to the beach. Hurley arrives while Jack is treating Saeed and says that someone he interviewed wasn't on the plane, Ethan Rom. And Ethan finds Charlie and Claire in the jungle and stares at them menacingly. And that brings us to all the best daddies have cowboy issues. I think you, I think you got that mixed up. (laughs) I think it's all the best cowboys have daddy. I said all the best daddies have cowboy issues, didn't I? I did not even pick up on that. But you know what? I've known a lot of good. I thought that was deliberate. I don't. (laughs) You know, I'll say I've known a lot of good dads that are really obsessed with cowboy movies and just you know have a problem watching cowboy movies. So maybe it works both ways. It really is true. Could could yeah yeah it could be. My dad still watches westerns every Saturday night. So John does watch a lot of John Wayne. A lot of John Wayne and whatever's on TV. Oh my! It's good stuff. Never gets old. That's right. Yeah, yeah, it can. Um, but, it, <laughs> uh, but let's move on in to discuss this episode a little bit. So let's look at um, four episodes, four to eight episode moments that we kind of um, looked at in this episode, or or four to eight kind of key plots that were really big to us. I think one of the ones. Let's just take the biggest elephant in the room on this one. Uh, Jack and Christian in this episode. Their their backstory. Um, from after the operation where Christian tells Jack to call it and then uh, after everybody leaves the room Jack is ticked at his dad because he had, he was he was called in and there's just you already see this tension between them that that he knows his dad was impaired his dad says I'm better than you that's why they called me when I was in a restaurant and yet you were just upstairs and you already see that, that what did you think about this scene from the operation to this part? You know, the, the, the first scene is, I actually think is amazing. It's just, it's one of the most memorable scenes for me in lost because this relationship between Jack and Christian is, is monumental to the, to the whole show. And, uh, he's probably, no, I would say he is, the most important flashback character, Christian Shepard. And we learn more about him throughout the show. And this this one scene really sets the tone for their relationship. When he comes in, you know, call it Jack, call it. And then they have this big conversation afterwards and it just breaks down what, what you just said about the um, his, him being called from the restaurant, having had the drinks. And it really just sets up these two alpha males that are 
you know, excelling at their their jobs in different ways, and yet they're very different people. And they're they're father and son, yet they butt heads in such a strong way. It's just a really interesting dynamic. Uh, I think this scene really sets it up for not just this episode, but for you know seasons to go. And you also learn, and you also learn why his dad was in Australia to begin with, and why his mom looked at him and said, "You're the reason." You know, you know, we won't go into more details of what future episodes have, but you're the reason he's in Australia to begin with. Because you know, if you try to operate on somebody as a surgeon impaired, you're going to lose your license. There's no, there's no, there's no going around that. So you now know that it's been set up when we get to that later scene that Christian's probably going to lose his license from operating. So one thing that kind of caught me in this first scene is just the way Jack responded when he said he was at lunch. I never caught that on my original watchings, but uh, it seems like something seemed like clicked in Jack's head there when he said he was at lunch. Um, so I don't know if he, if that's when he decided that he, he had probably had a few drinks. Um, but I just, I thought it was really interesting how just how Jack's demeanor totally changed when he heard that he was out at lunch when he got the well, phone he, call. He, he even asked him that. He said, how many drinks did you have, Dad? Yeah. Because but he, I just he, wonder he if he thought about drink. that. Yeah. I just wonder if he thought about that before he knew he was at, like, when the surgery was happening and he realized his dad had made a mistake, I don't know if that's something that Christian let slip that he shouldn't have or or not. I just thought it was really kind of interesting how Jack responded well, to that. Well, I, th- I think he's reacting in, in two ways. One, he's just taking in the information and going, oh, he's at lunch. He must have been having some drinks. But I think also th- that look on his face is him reacting to the, the information that his dad, they chose his dad as a surgeon, even though he's out at a restaurant at lunch, Jack's right upstairs. They would rather wait to go get his dad to come in, you know, and that's telling him he's that much better of a surgeon than you, that we're going to go get him instead of getting you when you are right here. And so I think um, what's interesting about Jack as a character is he makes all these decisions that seem like they're often for the greater good, but they're, they're always mixed up in his own, um, personal ego and his, his own shortcomings. And that's just part of being a human being. But it's really interesting with Jack because it's, it's hard to tell sometimes. But with this whole situation with him and his dad, there's part of it where Jack just wants to do the right thing. But part of it has to do with him kind of wanting to beat his dad. And part of it, it you know, has to do with him wanting, actually wanting to have that good relationship with his dad. And that's what's bouncing back um, back and forth in his mind throughout the whole episode. Cause for a while we really think that Jack is going to let him kind of get away with it. And then at the right. end, of course he doesn't. And, 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 and we do. So, you know, in this scene, he's, he's, he's standing up to his dad, but then in the next time we see them together in Christian's office, when Christian's filing the paperwork, he says, I need you to sign this. And he said, I'm not going to sign this paper. And he says, but you were the surgeon on record at this time. You have to sign this paper. And then he almost pulls... It's almost as like if Christian is then now manipulating him. Not not as much... I don't think Christian was scared as much to lose his license as he was manipulating Jack. Because he, he feels like he always has his thumb on Jack. He can always get him to do what he wants to do. And... He says, look, he says, if you do this, he says, I'm going to lose everything. I'm going to lose who I am. I'm going to lose my license. I'm going to, if you go in there and you tell them I was impaired. And it's almost as if you, like you said, that internal struggle now, if Jack is like, do I want to please my father? Do I want his acceptance or do I want to do my own thing? And ultimately he chooses to sign the paper. So we, yeah. so we see that they go back now. Now he wants to. Now he wants to feed. He still wants to be with his dad. He wants to have that relationship. Well, I, I think. And that, that's a, I think this shows right. too that just the hold that Jack's dad has over him. I mean, we saw it in the the White Rabbit episode. But but man, even as an adult who has accomplished as much as Jack has, I mean, he's still looking for his dad's approval. And man, his dad's good. Yeah, and you, you know, the scene where. He ultimately signs the document is just a really emotional scene and like 
even at, I've seen this episode so many times, but even just watching it again, this this moment really gets to me because you, you can just see it. They have all these close-ups on Jack and you see it in his eyes. He doesn't want to give in to his dad, but he sees this little glimpse of a real human being in his dad who he often can't connect with and he is connecting. And, and the line that always gets me um, is, is Jack, or, uh, Christian says, you know, I've had to sacrifice certain aspects of my relationship with you um and then he goes on to say you know in order for you to be this successful surgeon you know it's all for the greater good and you have to harden a soft metal to turn it into steel and and when he says that line i've had to sacrifice certain aspects of our relationship they cut to this close-up on jack and, you know you can see his eyes tearing up and and you just feel this moment you know this is his dad basically explaining this is why I, I've been such a bad father. And it's like as close to an apology as you really get from Christian. And you see Jack, you know, wants to go. It's almost like he wants to say, oh, it's okay. You know, let's hug. Let's throw the ball. Let's, you know, let's have this relationship. But he knows it's not really going to go anywhere. He signs the document basically out of emotion there and then really can't go through with it in the end. So, I mean, I, I think, I think. I think Christian was telling the truth here, though, is a thing. I mean, he's manipulating Jack, but I think everything he's saying is the truth. Um, I think it's something that Jack's been waiting to hear for a long time. So I, it it was a really powerful scene for sure. And then and then it kind of continues as we're talking about this Jack and Christian dynamic. So we go back to the island for a little bit. And we deal with that, and then we come back to the next flashback when they're in the. Um, I, I'm not exactly. I can't remember exactly what it's called. Um, but they're 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 in the board meeting with the higher ups of the hospital because they're they're because you know whenever they have a death they have to speak to the doctors and the surgeons because they need to get their side of the story for different various reasons. So they're talking to him and and he knows Christian is lying. He 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 knows he's lying and you can see he's already struggling with going ahead and protecting Christian and protecting his father. He he's he's starting with it. So then after. They're just about done. One of the guys at the head of the table says, and were you aware that this lady was pregnant at the time? And then Christian just answers, well, yes, and, and keeps going. And Jack is just like, wait a minute, what? You know, that's a pretty big piece of information that you failed to mention. And and Jack is just awestruck. And then Jack kind of clears his throat and says, I'd, I'd, like to re- you know, I'd like to revise my statement. And then Christian's just like, Jack, stop. Jack, don't do it. And and he just, he just in a way, tor- I don't want to say torches his dad, but man, just, that's it. And you could just see the look on Christian's face when Jack comes clean. And Christian's like, crap, I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm, this, I'm over. It's an amazing high-stakes moment. I mean, can you imagine having to turn your dad in and get his license revoked or the opposite being the the dad and having your son in a meeting like that in front of all the higher ups it's just it it could have been cringy but it's not you're just like it's a very powerful uh difficult moment yeah i think it's kind of interesting i mean uh christian is you know generally presented as you know a, a character not to you know, appreciate, and Jack is, you know, Jack's the moral high ground here doing the quote-unquote right thing, but man, in this situation, you really got to feel for Christian. I mean, you can just see it on his face. I mean, I found myself sympathizing with Christian. I mean, I can't imagine your son doing that to you, you know, whether whether it was the right or wrong thing to do. Yeah, that's just something you don't expect from your son. It, yeah. It's, it's hard. I mean, it's it's man it's hard it was it was hard on both of them but this this dynamic like you said this <clears throat> this dynamic between jack and christian is a recurring and ongoing dynamic that you're going to see play out throughout the entire run of this series even into the last season and um it's such in christian has such an impact on jack's life throughout this series um and it almost feels like we're just just getting the tip of the iceberg here but this, this, but this is one of those key episode moments where the entire flashbacks really kind of it links back to the previous time we had a Jack centric episode and had the flashbacks of why he's looking for Christian in Australia and Mama said you're the reason why he's gone, it's your fault. They're not gonna let you have nothing to do with it. 
and now we see well what happened why would he be in australia now we know why because he's he he's we know why ish there's another reason um but we're not gonna get that till later um but this is one of those reasons and it's it was such an intense episode theme and story thread um that it just it had to be one of my one of my key moments yeah i think that uh this is maybe one of the best flashback stories in all of lost it, it absolutely it is just it's very weighty and it and it and it holds true over rewatch after rewatch and it it affects Jack as a character throughout the whole series. This this is a monumental moment because this was the turning point that really, in a way, led him to the island because his dad goes to Australia. Uh, um, after you know, it's, it's implied here that he loses his job. Jack goes to find him, and you know that's how the the plane crash happens. Uh, but I will say, um, I love this this last scene uh, in the last flashback. I do have one gripe about it, one criticism. I thought it was a little bit of a little bit like out of left field to just throw in. Oh, she was she was also pregnant, and, and I do feel it. I understand it gives an interesting emotional beat, and that was kind of the motivation for uh, for Jack to, to chime in. But I think it's more interesting to wonder, you know, if if they didn't say that, you know, if it wasn't that she was pregnant, um, would Jack have just let him get away with it? I mean, that, that's I what I really. I think he would have. I think. Yeah, I, I, I think. think it, I think yeah. because there was an innocent child involved in this that Jack said, "Holy crap!" So you knew, you know, we 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 you know, we don't know now. We don't want to get into the debate and the political debate and all that kind of things. But you know, Christian even said, "But we were aware of that." But she was also very early in her pregnancy. It's almost as if he kind of like brushed it off. Yeah. Yeah. You know. She, she, she was only early in her pregnancy, kind of a thing, and I'm like, whoa, wait, wait a minute, and that's kind of I think what set Jack off was not the fact that she was pregnant, but that it's almost as if a Christian had such little regard for that comment. He just said, yeah, but it was pretty early in her pregnancy. Yeah, and I think that's that's what set him off. He's like, no, I can't, I can't, I I can't defend this guy if the if he views life like that. Uh, one one last note before we talk about island stuff. I really this is a really um, great moment in the episode too. The the I think the only flashback we haven't talked about. Um, it's really short when he's in the hallway and he sees his dad. Uh, Jack sees his dad consoling the husband of of the deceased woman, and uh, it's it's an interesting moment, especially once you watch more of the series and you understand more about Christian and Jack because Jack has a hard time sometimes connecting with his patients and really having this emotional connection. And here is Christian having this very genuine emotional moment with that husband in a way that Jack may be incapable of doing. And it's also like Jack, you know, Jack doesn't get that type of emotion from his father himself. Uh, And you just see all these emotions in Jack's eyes. It's like he's looking at his dad like a liar and a phony, but at the same time, he does see a guy who seems to really care about the, the death of this woman and it's just there's a lot going on and it's like a 30 second scene and it you know some of it is just exposition like oh this guy's gonna sue that's all we need to know but they, they pack a lot into just this tiny little flashback and I, I think that the, the scene where he puts his hand on the guy's shoulder I, I think they were really trying to parallel that to when Christian put his hand on Jack's shoulder you know when he was convincing him to sign the papers so I think they really were trying to to say that hey this is jack realizing that that was his father manipulating him just like he's trying to manipulate this guy to get himself out of trouble that's kind of how i read the scene i don't yeah yeah i see that too well um i think i want to bring up another one of my favorite moments here uh, of the episode i think it's early on in the episode when jack is talking to kate and he basically admits to why he's being such a jerk. Uh, it's a really great moment. He says, you know, I didn't believe Claire. I gave her, um, what was it, uh, antidepressants or sleeping pills or something. Or yeah. no, a sedative. I gave her a sedative. Uh, and I didn't believe her. And she was taken. And 
a lot of times you see Jack, he's got this fiery, uh, you know, indignation. He's got this, 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 uh, this attitude that he can really just walk over other people. He's, he's just all up in Locke's case and he's given Locke all this, all this grief about different things. Uh, and part of you think like, oh, this is, you think like this is just Jack trying to be a leader and trying to, trying to really save them. But really he admits, ah, oh, no, like, a lot of this is just guilt. This is just me looking internally at myself and and you know hating what I did in the previous episode. And I think that's a really interesting um, moment where Jack admits to it. Because if you look at the whole episode, you go, oh yeah, okay, that makes sense. That's why Jack is acting like this. Um, and uh, I, I thought it was a good moment because it, it actually correlates really well with the relationship between Christian and Jack in, in the flashback and where, you know, Jack is struggling with what is the right thing to do versus what do I personally want to do, you know, based on my own emotions. And that's, that's a good parallel. Yeah, uh, you're right. It's a sense of overwhelming guilt that he, that he's got over Claire because he, he didn't believe her. He tried to drug her up and, and yeah, it's just, it's guilt. It's guilt. And he has that honest moment with, with, with Kate um, and of course, now that that honesty will be reciprocated in just a second when Jack finally asks Kate, "Why can't you just be honest with me? Tell me the truth. What is going on?" Because apparently she knew she knows how to track. And I love Locke's response. Well, you're just full of surprises. <laughs> and um, and he says, "Just be honest with me." And she told him the story of of uh how her father was 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 in the military and he he loved the woods he got she'd got with him for eight hours at a time into the woods and and track deer and so she learned how to track so what you have here is now you have this dynamic of jack and kate finally being honest with one another kate's opening up about her past instead of keeping it a secret and jack's opening up to kate about i feel guilty over claire because i'm the one who tried to get her to in a way hush hush what was going on uh, shout out to Kate's dad, the only good dad on Lost. Just want to throw that out there. <laughs> yeah, he he didn't do anything wrong, as far as we know. Don't don't forget Jen, don't forget Jen's dad, my favorite character in the whole series. Oh, Jen, Jen, that, was, Jen. that was a good dad. There's a couple of good dads in there. Okay, I guess. okay. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Brian, maybe Brian is no. I don't no, know. no Brian. <laughs> <laughs> We well we did we did get the mention of Walt's other dad Brian his 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 real one what he said that was interesting we were talking to Hurley but we'll talk about that later uh so Stephen what about you what is something that kind of really stood out to you in this episode um I really enjoyed the uh, Sawyer and Saeed reunion um <laughs> Walt it, it, accompanied by Walt's uh, evening news report. Um, the, the the Sawyer and Walt scenes were hilarious, and then man, that that scene with him meeting Saeed again was um, that was a good one. You know, you, you don't know what Sawyer's going to do, and I think he uh, probably surprised himself with the civility he handled that with. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes karma is is the best uh, payback, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, I think we can all safely say that the the music and emotions during the Charlie revival scene was pretty high on our list. Uh, I'm just going to say it. Michael Giacchino is just absolutely um, a legend in my book when it comes to music. The, the score that he wrote and the music he wrote during that scene and the emotions that were floating out when Charlie was just hanging there. And, of course, we know they hung him, so we, we obviously know Ethan did not do that alone. Um, and then the music that was playing was just was just absolutely was good. That was a that was a good scene. It's a phenomenal thing that they do with the music, where it makes it seem like it all fades out. This camera pans, uh, uh, the camera uh, goes pulls back, and it makes it seem like the scene is over and it goes completely silent. And then, you know, Jack goes, oh, no, no. And he keeps going. And then the music comes back in. Uh, it's, it's a interesting moment. It is. It is. Yeah. You really um, believed in that moment. Charlie was a goner. They, they really sold that. Yeah. 
I remember when I first saw saw the show, I was like, how did Ethan by himself, when he's trying to wrestle with Claire, get Charlie up into the tree by himself and hang him? And it just didn't occur to me until after I've seen it a few times. Oh, that's why Charlie says they, and then, you know, because they helped hang him into that tree. Um, so... Another musical thing I thought was kind of interesting is when they were talking to Charlie at the end about what happened, and as soon as he said, you know, all they wanted was Claire, the music really changed there. Um, <clears throat> thought that was a, another good musical moment. Oh, absolutely. It, 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 it turns from like the, the I don't want to say the happy tone, but the kind of like the tone that you normally get at the end of every episode where things are working out, people are being nice to dun 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 <laughs> you know like holy crap we just unlocked something else that's got the you know something negative we didn't realize was coming so very very good uh, and the music is just on par yeah i think the the um, first third of season one there's a lot more happy endings to episodes uh and it, this is kind of a turning point where you know, it's probably half and half for a, for a long time, and then eventually, you know, you get to the point where every episode ends in like a mysterious or crazy or sad moment or something. <laughs> Just... Yeah, th- well, it's probably one of those are like, okay, cool. So we made it through ten episodes. We got we we got greenlit to keep going. Now we have to film some things, and we have to actually make, put some, you know, heavy scenes in there to make it real life and to make sure that we get people coming back the next week. <laughs> so yeah. I mean, that, that, that scene good. with 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 Charlie. I mean, that is, it is, even though as a viewer, it is a little ridiculous how many times he pounds on his chest. But in the execution of it, the emotion on the actors, it's an amazing moment. Like every time you watch it, it is the Kate uh, Evangeline Lilly. You know, she does. I think the the best acting in that scene. You know, she's trying to stop Jack, and just seeing the emotion on her face. You know, she's like, "This guy is dead. Stop pounding on his chest," and uh, she really believes it. And then, of course, miraculously, you know, the island saves Charlie somehow. You know. Well, then we then we well then we see that I I, I picked up what you said there. Then we see that um, we see the flashback between him stop pounding and then him pounding again and we see that i think the reason jack continues is because he feels like if he would have kept going with this other girl that was in the operating room maybe she, her life would have saved he's not going to lose another one that 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 way and um yeah. so yeah in a way kate is saying call it jack you know <laughs> right over. and and he and he refuses to he's i'm, I'm not going to call it um, I'm trying to think of something else. Uh, the, we finally, there's some mystery steel, mystery metal in the woods. We don't know what it is yet. Well, we do. You don't. People, if you're listening for the first time. Um, Locke lock throws, uh, throws Boone his flashlight, and it lands on something metal, and they start cleaning it off and banging on it. And uh, they start digging it. And by the way, this is where you start to see the dynamic uh, and the relationship between Boone and Locke really kind of take off. Um, they, you know, Boone for a while has just been the, hey, go find a pen, you know, <laughs> from from the from the beach, and then <laughs> and then, hey, you know, I'm doing this. But you kind of start seeing Boone take more of a a charge role and take more of a, hey, let's do something genuinely. I don't want to sit here and listen to Shannon, you know, complain and bicker. Let me go help do something. And uh, you see him start to really fulfill that dynamic with Locke, and he's starting to build something over the next few episodes. Yeah, that that's probably one of the, really one of the key relationships of the whole first season, um, is that is the Boone and, Boone and Locke dynamic. Um, and this, this is the start of it right here. Well, I, I'll say, like, I'm a, a diehard Locke fan, and I know we've mainly talked about Jack, and I, I think there's some great Jack moments in this episode, but uh, I really think Locke kind of steals the show in yeah. the majority of this episode, or at least the, the middle chunk of it, because Locke is, is clear-headed, he has a plan, he's tracking, um, Jack is just a hothead for a lot of the episode, and understandably with his guilt about the situation. But you know, Jack makes a—I mean, sorry—Locke makes a great point at the beginning. 
Jack, you should stay behind. You you are the only doctor. You need yeah. to tend to the people that are there. And Jack, of course, just, you know, it doesn't even act like that's an option. And then, you know, Locke wants to stop and rest. We're taking a break. And and Jack's like, no, no. And he's, Jack, Locke says, you know, we are taking a break. And uh, and then they find the, uh, the, the piece of uh, tape from Charlie's finger during the break. And this is the beginning of these guys starting to butt heads, like, um, which is uh, which is bound to happen just you, you, when you really look into these characters. But for the first ten episodes, they get along pretty well. Um, this is the episode where they start to uh, split really, a little. yeah, literally and figuratively, they they split up. Yes, yes. yeah, it's very symbolic of, of these two characters in their path. Uh, yeah, we we you know like you were saying so, and I know, I know you got some notes on it, um, uh, Corey. That Locke had a we we learned a lot about Locke this episode. Things that we didn't know. Um, besides being the one that Walt idolizes, <laughs> and Walt telling off Michael, you know you don't know Mister Locke. He's cool. He he's the only one smart enough to have brought knives. <laughs> and he's just, a warrior. He's a warrior, and you're not. <laughs> <laughs> okay so speaking of there's that quote and, and you wrote this down as one of your moments uh do, do you want to read that the warrior the hurley line oh the, the hurley line so hurley is playing backgammon with with walt and just getting murdered of course because you know walt is a walt's a pretty special kid and um so he's losing and then hurley starts to walk away at one point Oh no! I mean, that's the uh, that's the wrong scene. And and Walt said, "What what what about my twenty thousand? You'll get it. I'm good for it." And um, but the other scene was uh, uh, oh that that was this no. He says he's in the well, caves. Yeah, that's right. He's yeah. in the caves of this one. So he says he says you know well I uh, back home I'm known as something of a warrior myself. <laughs> it's an early scene. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Walt Walt's face face is so great there. He's just like <laughs> okay. I I love that line, but I'm just wondering. Do you guys know what that means? Is there a, is there a meaning to that? I I I, I thought maybe I it was like know. a Dungeons and Dragons thing or like, yeah, like some we, sort of game where he's like he's a warrior. I my mind went to Dungeons Dungeons and Dragons yeah. or yeah, uh, we learn you know, a, some sort of board game. We learn a lot about Hurley, but I don't know that we ever learned anything that would explain that quote. <laughs> I think it was just we, more of a throwaway line. But it was so funny, though. Oh yeah, it's a great. It, it's he, good. Hurley has some good moments. I think actually Walt, Walt has some some of the funniest moments of this episode. He's great, and uh, the backgammon oh, yeah. scene is awesome. Oh yeah. Uh, but going back to Locke for a second, I think um, my favorite moment with him is is where they're they're ripping the red shirts as the markers, and they're going yep. along, and then Boone starts talking about Star Trek. And the red shirts and how they all die, and um, you know brings up oh he must have been a bad captain if all of his guys are dying. And then they they talk uh, you know Boone starts guessing what Locke's profession was. What, what does he say? Uh, a taxidermist or a, um, something oh, else like a? He said taxidermist a, or a uh, or 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 a hitman. Yeah. Or a hitman, yeah. And then he says, and I wrote this down here. I was a regional collection supervisor for a box company. <laughs> just, just the most boring sounding right. name. And Locke just walks away and Boone's like, yeah, right. <laughs> box company? And then, and then later, uh, actually, maybe this is my favorite moment. You know, Locke says, all right, turn around. I think you should go back. Uh, in about two minutes, it's going to start pouring rain. It's going to be dark. If you leave now, you can get back uh, before nightfall. Uh, and then it just starts pouring rain, you know, right on cue. And did they teach you how to p- predict the weather at a box company? Yeah, <laughs> that was funny. But see, that also begs one of my theories we can talk about when we get to the spoiler zone too. Um, that that's a pretty big theory as to why he was able to do that. And then we also learn later on in the show that where locked worked is in connection to somebody else on the show that I'm not going to reveal yet. That's a good point. So, Actually, I've, I've heard that if, if you're bald, you can feel the moisture in the air, and that uh, it gives you a, 
a heads up on when the rain is. <laughs> oh my goodness! So for all of our bald listeners, that is um, you. You can you can find Corey at Original Mav on Twitter and. <laughs> Oh no, that that's it's, good. It's a community. Larry David tells me it's a, it's a community. <laughs> it is. Um, I'm trying to think of something else I had. You know, I, I didn't have very the the biggest chunk of this, like you said, was you know the revival scene with Charlie, the Jack and Christian flat flashbacks, the lock moments where we get a lot a lot kind of seals the behind the scenes um, on this kind of thing. Um, we get some Ethan action. Yeah, I, I found it. Him. I found that scene really interesting on the rewatch, the Ethan scene. Um, you know, they're climbing the tree. You know, it starts raining. Jack hears Claire. Kate doesn't. They're climbing in the rain. Jack falls. And then when he wakes up, he's got Ethan's foot in his chest. They have this big fight. And then Kate, com- Kate comes down and... Yeah, Kate comes down and says, you hit your head. And it kind of makes you wonder, you know, I, I never thought before, did this really happen? I, But Kate really kind of makes you wonder, like, where did Kate go during that time that this whole fight was going? Was this fight actually happening? I don't know what you guys think on that. That has been a theory for a lot of years, believe it or not, that this fight was all in Jack's head. And it wasn't a literal fight. Well, yeah, the, the, I mean, the way Kate wakes him up and, you know, then it stopped raining right. at that point and she didn't and, hear well, the voices. And Ethan looked like the Incredible Hulk in Ethan <laughs> form. Yeah, I, I like to call him Super Ethan, um, but, I, you know, I, I was I was wondering if this scene would hold up um, after, uh, you know, however many, 15 years. And I, I think it does. I think some, some of the later Ethan moments will get um, at some point. Uh, seem a little too uh, far-fetched, but I think this moment holds up. Well, and I do think it really does happen because they're climbing up this really steep uh, section of the of the the mountain or whatever there, and they're they're way up there. The Jack falls down all the way. I don't know, you know, if Kate keeps going. Presumably, maybe she went a little bit further, but to actually walk down that would probably take quite a while and really the you know the fight is only like two minutes long so i think it's it's uh reasonable to say that uh you know it, it happened maybe kate decided to go like get a drink of water from the creek and then the rain stopped and then she went over and checked on jack like it, it does seem to take her a long time but uh yeah i think this uh was it, it was a good moment you know it, it is kind of cool to see ethan you know beat the crap out of jack <laughs> he's yeah. got some good moves man like that kick to the face jeez. i know he just i don't know yeah uh i i think personally i think it was a real fight i mean it, it's i mean i could see both sides but i, I kind of do personally believe it was a a a real fight and then i think the reason it took kate so long is kind of like you said too it's a steep climb but then the question comes into play if she's looking down to check on Jack, how does she not see Ethan towering over him, going down the like like as she's climbing back down? Obviously, she's she's going to be looking down. How does she not see him towering over Jack? Well, there's trees and brush, and you know she's a tracker, so she's looking down at the ground at the at the so, tracks. I don't know. I don't it, know. It, is, it is it is a little bit of a one of those moments. The ground the ground moment, looked right? pretty dry for as much rain as they had been having. The, the ground looked fairly dry when she woke him up. I don't know. I don't know. Well, I think, uh, I think we know that it must be real because if it was actually Jack's dream, he would have got a few hits in. You know, if he's <laughs> dreaming. He... <laughs> and, 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 and it wouldn't have been Ethan. It would have been Sawyer. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so... Just as as far as, you know, a villain goes, though, I mean, they did a really good job of making Ethan scary in this moment, you know? This is your only warning. If you, you know, if you keep following me, I will kill one of them. I mean, that's pretty menacing stuff for, you know, this character that seemed, you know, kind of nice, kind of weird for a couple episodes. And, yeah, you don't know what you're up against at this point. You you, you know, so... Going back to something we kind of we didn't really talk about, but we 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 kind of skimmed over it in another area, 
was we talked about we know that Ethan was not alone because Charlie even says that all they wanted was Claire. So we knew there were more than one. We knew more than one had to have helped get Charlie in the tree. But the other thing we think of is when is when Locke and Boone split off from Jack and Kate. There were two trails. And Jack and Kate's like, well, it could have been a dummy trail or that kind of thing. But what I personally believe happened is the group came and got Claire and went one way and then Ethan took Charlie another way to kind of to kind of throw the 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 the, the, the tail off. Yeah, that would make sense actually cuz Charlie doesn't really remember what exactly what happens. Right. Right. And, and and we know it's possibly we know well we we I can't can't really give anything away so never mind. <laughs> but we know it is possible. So It is possible. Uh yeah, I think that there had to have been something that that Locke was following on that trail. It's never it's never really revealed, you know, um, what exactly they were that you know they were looking for well, or what they were following. He said though that he the trail went cold what three miles back or or th- three quarter of a mile back, and now but but he said there I feel something something is here, something's calling me this way, and then when he throws the light, they find the the piece of metal on the ground. So he, he it's almost as if he stopped looking for Claire and Charlie and just started to go off on his own gut. And you kind of see the, the difference there between Jack and Locke. I mean, Jack's a, a one-track mind. We're going to find Claire and Charlie no matter what. And Locke's kind of, you know, got his own motives. He, he's going to do what he wants to do. Absolutely. Well, uh, anything else you guys got? I don't think so. I think... I mean, they, there's a few scenes with Michael where they, it just seems like they're trying to involve him somehow. And it's one of the episodes where he's very cool, calm, and collected. He doesn't get all hot and bothered, but uh, they he send him south. He, right. He, uh, yeah, I mean, he's heading south. He got a little bothered when Locke told him to go south and, and that kind of thing. And then with Walt telling him, you know, Locke's a warrior, at least he brought knives and, <laughs> and that kind of thing. So, but yeah. Uh, we did not get Jen and Son in this episode either. There was no sign of Jen and Son either. So some of the stable, uh, normal ones that we normally get, we didn't get them. Um, so let's take the next 15 or 16 seconds then and kind of give your overall thoughts on the episode. Corey, what do you think? I'd say this is a, a fast-paced, kind of a uh, heart-stopping episode, literally, that uh, sets the stage of with its flashback for Jack as a character, um, for seasons to come, and it really um, changes the dyna- dynamic of the the rest of season one, uh, with the disappearance of Claire and the establishment of Ethan as the villain and the new mystery, which is that uh, piece of metal on the ground. That's right. That's right. And uh, Stephen, how about you? Yeah, I think this was a uh, an action packed episode for sure. Um, you know, definitely was an interesting episode. Kept the story moving. The I think the backstory was kind of the highlight of this episode for me. Um, just really, really good emotional stuff there between Jack and his dad. Um, yeah, over a solid episode. Uh, moved the moved the story along really well. I I I agree. I personally I love this episode. It's it's it's. I know I say it's. A lot of them are one of my favorites, but this one, the backstory in this, uh, like you said, is one of my favorite backstories. It's a, it's a good, it's an, it's an emotional piece. It's a strong piece. It sets a lot of foundational truths for the upcoming episodes. You see a lot of the formations of the uh, friendships, and not just friendships, but uh, I don't want to use the word villains, but um, dynamics and conflicts that are setting up between certain characters. Um, it's a good, it's a good episode. It's a very pivotal episode in the series, um, which is why um, when we have a rating system out of twenty-three today, this rating system this time is going to be one out of twenty-three daddy issues. Um, I'm giving this one a twenty-one out of twenty-three daddy issues, simply because of the fact that it's not a perfect episode, but it's near perfect in the content, in the music, in the character development, and what we get in this in this episode is just absolutely. Um, Really, 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 really good. Uh, Steven, how about you? Yeah, I give this one a 19 out of 23 daddy issues. Um, 
so low. Yeah, that's that's still that's still pretty high. Still pretty high. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean it was it was an enjoyable episode, action packed. Um, I don't know. I may have given the la- a couple other ones a little bit higher, but uh, no, it was, it was a very good episode. I, I enjoyed it. Good. Good. And I as well will give it a 21 out of 23 daddy issues. There you go. This is uh, just a fantastic episode. And and I just have to say, you know, I can only imagine, you know, watching this on TV back then. You know, I actually you know, caught up on Lost later after season two. But wa- <laughs> watching this live and then having to wait a couple weeks or a week or whatever. Man, that, that must have been just great. This This is a great episode of TV. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we learned a little bit about um, some more name dictionary. We didn't have very many name dictionaries this time. We'll talk about where this one came from in a second. Uh, but Sawyer called, because um, we didn't have a lot of Sawyer time. But Sawyer called Walt Tattoo, and we didn't have any freckles, so I don't have a fref- I don't have updated freckle count yet. But we'll we'll get there. Um, but he called Walt Tattoo, and we'll find out why he called him Tattoo. Uh, in our pop culture culture connection, so things that were said or done or episode title in this in this episode, uh, Corey, why don't you take us away with a little bit of the, of the pop culture connections here? All right, here we go. So Star Trek, uh, Boone describes the origins and fates of the red shirts who traveled with Captain Kirk and Spock uh, to Locke during the episode. Locke states that Captain Kirk is a poor captain. Ironically, Locke's poor, self-centered leadership uh, is to blame for someone's death uh, later in this season uh, and the deaths of at least three others um, further on in the series. Uh, in, in Star Trek The Next Generation, uh, the episode The Pegasus, Terry O'Quinn, Locke, plays a Starfleet admiral who, as a captain, suffered... Uh, mutiny due to his poor leadership skills and you know it's funny that Locke doesn't know much about star trek you know he the actor in real life is in the is in the show um and i mean he looks like he could be a, a you know a cousin of spock or something <laughs> uh and then uh, all the best cowboys have chinese eyes the title of, of the episode, All the Best Cowboys Have Daddy Issues, is an allusion to this album by rock star Pete Townsend. Specifically, this is a reference to a story inside the album jacket, which tells a tale of leadership and sacrifice in a crisis. A natural leader emerged. The most remarkable thing about him was his eyes. Somehow, they arrived alive. Somehow, they found the broken bottle trail without help. All stars, great and small, shine under God. All the best cowboys have Chinese eyes. That's a, a quote from the jacket there. And I did not know that at all. Um, and uh, I was Googling this this episode, actually, and uh, I didn't put Lost in there, and, and it came up with this, this song, actually, uh, or, or this album first. Um, so I found that out earlier today. Uh, and then Fantasy Island. Uh, Sawyer calls Walt Tattoo after the dwarfed character on this American television series. Tattoo was the assistant of Mr. Rourke, who ran a magical resort on a mysterious island. That sounds pretty appropriate for this show. And lastly, (laughs) VH1. Sawyer uh, fittingly calls Charlie a VH1 has-been, referring to the cable uh, music television station, which is a great line, you know. Who the heck wants to capture this VH1 has been? <laughs> Is VH1 even still on the air? You know, I I think they have uh, you know all sorts of reality TV shows that uh, I've never heard of, but uh, I th- they're probably still. I, I will say they yeah. they I was a big fan of VH1 during the uh, I love money, I love uh, New York flavor Flav shows. Great great reality S- television, but uh, they kind of stopped doing those. There was a there was a tragic incident, and they, they stopped making those reality shows, but some of the best reality uh, TV of all time. I remember the reality show on MTV, Pimp My Ride. <laughs> that's a whole different That's a whole different, uh, different show and different station. Oh, <laughs> Hey, and we want you to participate with us, so here's what you can do, everybody. If you want to participate, I want to know, do you think Christian was manipulating Jack 
in his office or do you think he was being genuine and you could do that by going to retrozap.com and going to the discord link and going to discord and talking about it with us in the discord channel um let us know what you think um and then we'll get into where you can find us as well again but our next episode we're going to carry uh, we're going to cover is whatever the case may be this is a very um this episode is kate centric we're going to learn more about kate's backstory but this episode sets up a wow that case that they find is um has a lot of impact on the show this is a polarizing episode actually some people love this episode some people absolutely hate this episode i think it's a fun episode but you know tune in next time and uh you know get our opinions on it. i think it'll be interesting to see if, if we disagree about this one i think there could be a couple different takes on it oh yeah oh yeah and like always you can follow us hey everybody on retro zapped you can follow us at lost rewatch pod on twitter on instagram we're previously on lost podcast you can find us on facebook you can find me on Twitter at the DC fanboy. You can find um, Stephen. Where can they find you? At Lucky Thirteen Steve on Twitter. That's right. And uh, Corey, how about you? And uh, for me on Twitter as well at Original Mav. All right. And like always, you can find us at RetroZap.com. Check us out. Well, that takes us to through the spoiler-free part of our episode. So if there's nothing else that we want to talk about spoiler-free. We can go ahead and move then into our spoiler zone. You have been warned. All right, guys. Let's talk about it. Spoiler, the hatch reveal. Finally, I was wondering how long it was going to be until we got to the hatch. It was so hard for me not to say the word hatch this whole time. I just wanted to say hatch. Yes, I was I was worried too because apparently I wasn't vetting um, the pop culture connections because I was like, oh crap, I have <laughs> Boo's death in there too. Please <laughs> don't say it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I uh, edited that part out. <laughs> oh. Anyways, I, I, I like that. I like the uh, the, the, the hatch um the hatch part where we discover that and of course we have boone um boone building that dynamic with lock until you know the plane comes down and boone goes boom is this is this the beginning of the end for lock and uh you know I'm, I'm, so, a, I'm a huge lock fan but so this kind of brings my thought and the theory from the first episode where the smoke monster we know goes to lock and Locke sees a smoke monster in a wood, that a lot of people believe that's where the smoke monster inhabited Locke. Not when he came back to the island and he died. Um, but a lot of people believe that when he came back to the island after he was already dead and he got back up again out of the casket, that that at that moment, the smoke monster took 100% control over Locke. Not just a partial control. So a lot of people believe... He is still controlled by the smoke monster now. He came into him in the pilot episode. But Locke still maintains control, but he can tap into that resource of the man in black. But when he comes back to the island after he's dead and he wakes back up again, now the man in black has taken complete control over Locke and is now using Locke's body. But that's that was a pretty big theory back when the show was going. I think, I think it's an interesting theory. I think... You know that you can tie it together with a few moments, like the, the when weather. he looks into the eye of the island and, and a few other things. Um, yeah. I would tend to say that's probably not true, but I, I think it's interesting theory. It's, it's fun. That's why I was going to mention like the weatherman lock earlier, because uh, you know the man of black has been on that island now for thousands of years, so he could tell just by the general weather when it's going to do something. So that's why a lot of people can you know do subscribe to that theory because how else would Locke just have known that it was about about to start raining you know but the man in black would have known well you know it Locke I think is kind of like Cliff in Cheers where he just knows a lot of pointless stuff from, <laughs> from sitting on his computer <laughs> yeah I, I think there's enough evidence that that Locke is kind of just he studies the outdoors and he I think there 
there's enough evidence to where you could think of other reasons why he might be able to predict that. Um, yeah, I don't know that I subscribe to that theory either, but I, I certainly can see why people could think that. There, you know, there's, but then there's other times between here and later where he seems like he's locked. So. I like it better because before I'd, I'd heard that theory as if the smoke monster fully took over Locke, which I don't think is possible. But but I do like the idea of that he you know partially you know took some sort of control or it, it's almost like Locke kind of had the the sickness or whatever, and he has like this influence on his mind by the smoke monster. And frankly, you know, I could use that as a, as a way to uh, you know excuse some yeah. of Locke's really poor decisions that <laughs> yeah. Uh, I- badly affect other people I had one one thought about you know how Locke is out feeling feeling something when he finds the hatch um you know the hatch is electromagnetism it's uh you know it's covering up this big electromagnetic event and you know Locke has been paralyzed he's had surgeries I mean I think it's kind of reasonable to think that he just that magnetism made him feel he could feel it somehow it's kind of a thought i had on that yeah that's a great point actually of course we also learned that the box company that he worked at hurley owned which is is so funny to me oh the character connections gotta love them yes oh randy (laughs) good old randy Uh, and speaking of hurley uh, you get a, a little bit of a of a reference to Hurley having some money here when he says, you know, you'll get it uh, to to Walt about the twenty thousand dollars. Yeah, which you seem like it, it seems like a joke at the time, but then you know, go five episodes ahead or ten episodes ahead or whatever. Trisha you're like, Tanaka's oh wait, no, dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Hurley's good for that money. He's he he'll he'll pay all of his. Uh, that's, that's one thing I always felt that they they left off this show and they did kind of jump back into Walt a little bit later. They needed to show Hurley paying him this money. I just thought that would have been a great little <laughs> funny good, tie-in. Good, they could they could have done it somehow. Well, <laughs> right at the end when they do like the on on the DVD set they had like a little one where um where where Ben would go to one of the Dora facilities. Yeah, yeah. And answer one question each as he was as he was locking you know walk, walking out kind of thing. He went back to the van with Hurley and he's like, well, "We got to make one more stop." And they go picks up Walt. You know, but funny is if they picked up Walt, Hurley leaned back and said, "Oh yeah, here's I, I forgot to give you this a while back." And he hands him like a like a twenty thousand dollar stack of money. <laughs> that would been that would been nice. Right. Uh, and speaking of Walt, I you know I I think we have a clear allusion to. Uh, uh, Walt's powers here, um, and we we had a I think in the one of the previous episodes, you know when he throws the knife and he hits hits it perfectly at the spot on the tree, and then in this episode when they're playing backgammon and he says uh, double sixes and you know everything he he's like manifesting this the, the the dice to to do what he wants. That I mean it's not clear what it is, but somehow he can control things with his minds with his yeah. mind. And we get into that in his, his, his episode special. And then, unfortunately, uh, the writers didn't, or the showrunner, whoever did not, uh, you know, plan for for uh, the actor to grow so much. And, you know, they, yeah. they never really follow it up. And, and the, besides the, a little bit in the epilogue, but they don't ever talk much about why he's special. Right. And, and they, and that, that, you know, like you said there, we do, we'll, we'll find, you know, we'll find out behind the scenes that that's one reason why they had to write him out of the show because he was, his voice was changing and he was, he grew up way too quick, um, in real life. And therefore they had to get him out because it just wasn't going to make sense for them to come back the following year. And he's like, you know, six inches taller and, you know, a deep bass, bass voice. You know, it was like, okay, what the heck happened to Walt from last episode? Well, I also think when they first pitched the show, they were a little secretive about their plan. So, you know, maybe originally they weren't going to have them be on the island for 100 days and that basically take four seasons or whatever. Uh, you know, it might have actually been more of a Gilligan's Island thing where they, they're they there for years or whatever right. and, it, and they could have the end of a year and, you know, the, the growth makes sense. But it definitely did not make sense. 
Uh, uh, I think else you guys got. Yeah, I, I wrote down. Uh, did Jack hear the whispers when? Because uh, you referenced earlier that we hear Claire, and it, it doesn't really sound like the whispers, but it, it was a weird sound for sure. And they really made it seem like Kate did not hear it, and that was just Jack hearing it, which was interesting. You know, it, I'm gonna go back to this. It could have been. It could have been the smoke monster. That's a good point. Because it could have been impersonating. We, we do uh, know that the someone. smoke monster is talking to. Uh, is it? Hang on, I'm trying to think. Is it Jacob or the man in black that Richard is talking to? Oh, it's bad. I can't remember that. In which scene? Uh, probably Jacob. Right. I know it's Jacob, but I thought at one point he was talking to the man in black and didn't realize it. But anyways, I I I, I can't remember. It's you know five seasons from now. Um. But uh, but no, I th- I think it could have been the smoke monster. And or, or the yeah, man it's, black. It's a good theory, because he could have he. There's several women over the years he impersonates, um, including uh, mm-hmm. uh, Richards, Richards' uh, wife. Yep. Um, and then the last thing I wrote down, which is not that much of a spoiler, is like this episode is is really the setting of the stage for Man of Science versus Man of Faith, and yep. what's going to come to full head at the end of this season in Exodus part one and part two and then the beginning of season two and basically um goes all through season two it's one of the main forces of that whole season is those two and then they have a even worse relationship the rest of the series until uh, kind of a little bit of a, a happy ending <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah i i agree i think it does set the stage up you're gonna see, we're gonna see a lot of i know we're gonna see a lot of faith and we're gonna see a lot of uh, science coming to play here, especially over the next few seasons. So, it was good. Well, anything else? I think that's it for me. All right. Well, that's it for me too. And uh, if that's it with you, you, you good? You, I'm, you good? I'm Steven? good. I'm good. All right. Well, this has been uh, previously on Lost, and uh, make sure you go out and you watch whatever the case may be. And get your thoughts in. And again, find us on Discord or email us or uh, find us on Twitter. And let us know your thoughts. Do you think Christian was manipulating Jack? Or do you think he was being genuine in that scene when he was trying to get him to sign the papers? So, until next time, I'm Mike. That's I'm Corey. That's Corey. And I'm Steven. I'm Steven. No, I'm not Steven. He's Steven. (laughs) And this has been Previous Thought Loss, and we'll see you back here soon.